Psalm 32, beginning in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. This message is titled, From Prayer to Praise. Last week, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about prayer. Now we're going to see David, and that's who writes this psalm, praising God right toward the end of this psalm. Now this psalm is the second of the penitential or the penitent psalms that David wrote. If you remember, Psalm 51 is the first one. By the way, this is the first of 13 masculine psalms, and a masculine psalm is just written for instruction. So David's going to teach us something today, okay? God, through David, is going to teach us something in this psalm. But in Psalm 51, Dave, you remember why David wrote that psalm. He had committed adultery, and he had committed premeditated murder in the incident with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had his commander put Uriah on the front lines of the hottest battle and then said, withdraw from him, and you can't get much more premeditated than that. And so God convicted David's heart, and we'll see that in just a moment. But David, talking about premeditated murder, look at what he says in Psalm 51, verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. And blood guiltiness talks about the shedding of blood that causes death. David knew what he had done. And he's asking God forgiveness for committing that sin. Even though he knew what he had done, for almost a year he resisted his conscience and the accusations of his conscience. For almost a year he resisted the conviction of the Holy Spirit for what he had done. For almost a year he had possibly resisted some of God's chastisement in his body as he had committed these sins against God as well as against Uriah and Bathsheba. He had committed these sins and he resisted the conviction of God. That teaches us a great lesson from the Word of God, from the book of Hebrews. God chastens his children. God will chasten his children. And I'm going to go ahead and say this, and then we're going to read it, and I'll point it out again in a moment when we read it. If you profess to be a child of God, and you can live a worldly, sin-filled life, and never be convicted by God, and never receive the chastisement of God in your life, you need to check your salvation. 
Now listen to what Hebrews 12 says. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son, every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? My dad knew how to chasten, okay? <laughs> so did mother. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Illegitimate children. That's what he's saying. By the way, there are no illegitimate children, really. There's illegitimate parents, I think. If God doesn't chasten you, you're not his, is what he's saying. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, our fathers, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, God, for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Why does God chasten his children? That we'd live holy lives. That we'd say, you know, when I would get a spanking growing up, a lot of times I'd say, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> Whatever caused it, I didn't want to do it again because getting a spanking isn't fun, is it? By the way, young people, we grew up in the day when you could spank your children and nobody wanted to report you to, you know, the authorities. And I still believe in it. God says, this is Proverbs 23, 13, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. And thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. You know what the rod is? I've checked this out. It was a switch. It's not a big old stick. It's a switch. We run everything in the home with a switch these days except the children. You know that? My mother knew how to use the switch. I was growing up, she'd say, get your little keen switch. And I tell you, you want to see some little ones dance, you start using that on their ankles. <laughs> oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble with the authorities, aren't I? Promoting what God says we ought to do. Let's get back to the, the message in the meantime. God chastens that we can be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Chastisement will make you walk the right way. Amen. David has gone a year committing sins. God's tried to convict his heart and he just resisted. And his repentance did not come. And I can just envision this. I don't know if it worked this way, but this is how I see it in my mind. He's talking to that old preacher. You know, preachers just, they meddle, don't they? Amen. I expected an amen. Preachers meddle. And that old preacher, Nathan, I know he wasn't a preacher like we think of, sticking his finger in David's face after he gave him that little parable about the man who had one little precious sheep and the man who had many and the man with many sheep took that one little precious one and used it to feed people that were coming to his house. And Nathan says, thou art the man. Because Nathan had asked him, what ought to be done to that man? And David said, he ought to be put to death. And Nathan said, you're the man, David. You have just condemned yourself with your own words. The reading, the studying, the declaration of God's word, folks, will convict us of our sin. And I'm convinced that's why many people don't want to spend time in the Word of God. You start reading the Word of God, it starts cutting to the heart. That's why a lot of people don't want to come to church. They feel bad when they come to church. You know, there's three things you ought to feel when you come to church. Bad, mad, and glad. Feel bad, come in, and hear the preacher preaching, and it makes you mad. Then you get right with God, and you go out glad. 
Coming to church, you ought to go out differently than when you came in, all right? And the preacher who preaches God's word, and this is true for this preacher, the preacher who preaches God's word does not intend to step on toes. Folks, I'm going for the heart. I'm not going for your toes. Don't worry about your steel-toed boots. I'm going for your heart. I'm going to preach the word of God and let God take it to our hearts. Psalm 51 was probably David's first prayer for pardon. I think Psalm 32 was probably maybe the second one. It was written later on so that we could learn. It's a masculine psalm. It was for our fulfillment or those who would read it. Psalm 51 verse 12 says this, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You know what? David didn't lose his salvation. David lost his joy. Which causes me to think some of the most miserable people in the world are saved people who've lost their joy. If you've lost the joy of the Lord, you're a child of God, you're miserable. Preacher, don't tell me I'm miserable. I'm doing fine. Well, check your salvation, all right? Boy, you've gotten, you've gotten bold in your old age, haven't you, preacher? Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors their way. You can't teach anybody anything when you're out of fellowship with God. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Some people don't have a song because they're out of fellowship with God. Lord, let me get right with you and man, I'll sing. I'll praise you, I'll glorify you. David's humility and repentance are seen in this. Now, he's the king, remember. He's the king, and here's his repentance, and here's his humility, that he would commit this psalm, which tells of his sin, which convicts him of his shame, to the chief musician to be sung by the temple choir in the services. I know they're not kings, but how many preachers would say, well, look, here's the story of my life and here's the things that I've done wrong and y'all just share it in the services so you'll learn something from it. This psalm teaches us that great sin can be met with greater grace. I don't care how great your sin is, God's grace is greater. Don't we sing that song, grace that is greater than all my sin? Well, God's grace is greater. It is possible that backsliding can ultimately result in blessing not separation. That is, if we're willing to give heed to the Word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and get right with God. Obviously, we're not encouraging people to backsliding. But if you are, if you have been, if you're planning on doing it, I don't know what, but if you get backslidden in that backslidden condition, get right with God. It'll be a blessing to you to get right with God. God has called believers to be sanctified. He's called us to be holy, to be set apart to Him. I know as long as we're in this flesh, we're never going to be perfectly sinless. That's for sure. That's why we need God's grace, and that's why we need His mercy that this psalm speaks of. Who knows how many sins that we're guilty of every day? You say, well, preacher, I know when I do something wrong. Okay. Thoughts, attitudes, failures, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth not to him to sin. Refusals to witness, refusals to walk in the Lord, refusals to study Him, refusals to spend time in His Word. All of those fall under the heading of sin. And you say, well, I didn't do anything wrong today. Well, you hadn't gotten out of bed yet, have you? You know, like that thing you see on Facebook sometimes. We're all guilty of sins against God. 
And any unconfessed, unforgiven sin is a heavy, heavy burden for any child of God to bear. But there's something wonderful in this psalm. And it's the very thing that David experienced, and that's God's grace, and that's God's forgiveness of sin that awaits his child of God that is willing to repent and confess. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A child of God who will just say, Lord, I've sinned against you. I want to be made right with you. Forgive my sins. Help me to serve you, folks. He can be made right with God in an instant and have that fellowship restored. So first of all, what we're going to see in verses 1 and 2 is what I call the position of the saved. Look at the languages he used. He's talking about saved person, a man whose transgression is forgiven. Transgression is really a word that has the idea of to break away from authority. I don't want to be under the authority of God. I don't want to do what his word says. I'm going to do my own thing. When we walk across the word of God, we refuse to follow the word of God. First John Chapter 3, verse 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. What law? God's law. Not necessarily the Ten Commandments, the instruction that God has given us in His Word. When we walk across that, when we say, I know what the Bible says, and this is, I hear this so much, I know what the Bible says, but I, you know what you've just done? You just transgressed the Word of God. Might as well say, I don't care what the Bible says, because this is what I want to do. But when we walk across the Word of God, that's transgression of the law, and it is sin. It has the idea of a revolt. It's an offense against God. And then he says, blessed is the man whose sin is covered. By the way, that word blessed, and I may come back to it in a moment, that word blessed means happy. You want to be happy as a child of God? Get right with God and stay right with God. Okay, serve Him, live for Him. But he says, blessed is the man whose sin is covered. We know what sin is. We're told about it. We just read about it in 1 John. The New Testament word is hamartia. Hamartia has the literal idea of missing the mark. You're shooting an arrow at a bullseye and you don't hit the bullseye. You miss the mark. And that's the idea of sin. We don't do what God says to do. Now, this sin was potentially covered for everybody at Calvary, wasn't it? The sin nature that is in mankind. Jesus died on the cross. Every man, woman, boy and girl in the world could be saved if they'd turn to God in repentance and by faith apply the shed blood of Jesus. But this sin is also taken care of for the child of God. And forgiveness is available for the child of God. When we disobey God, we commit sin, we miss the mark. But David said, happy is the man whose sin is put out of sight. You know what the Word of God says? When we confess to God and God forgives our sin, it is put as far from us as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? This far. You start going east, pardon the grammar, but you ain't never going to go west. You just keep going east. You can circle this globe, but you'll still go east. If you go west, you're going to go west. And you can circle the globe, and you're still going west. Okay? That's how far away our sin is put from us when we get right with God. The scripture says God puts it behind his back. I love to have my sin behind God's back. Because if it's behind his back, he's not looking at it. He's forgiven it. And so then he says, The man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Iniquity is perversity. It's moral evil. It's guilt. And impute means to regard. What he's saying is blessed is happy is the man whose record is clear of guilt. 
We ought to be happy. If you're right with God, you ought to show it. <laughs> I've run into some people who claim to be right with God, and they look like some of the most miserable people that I've ever seen. Wouldn't smile. I've told you about one lady I pastored. She come into the church house. She never smiled in the church house. Man, this is where you ought to smile. This is where you ought to look like you're happy to be. It's in the because who's here? Well, I look around me. I can know. I'm not talking about that. God's here. Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit is here. You're in the presence of Almighty God, the Triune God. You ought to look happy. You know, I love being when my parents were living. I loved being with them. I'd love to have my children close to me and around me. I love to know that my children love me. It just thrills me. And so we ought to be happy when we're in the presence of our Heavenly Father. And I know He loves to have us in His presence. And when we sin as God's children, we have an advocate. 1 John chapter 2. We have a defense attorney. His name is Jesus. And he makes intercession for us, the scripture says. Remember 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, homologio is the word. Homo, same, logio, word, same word. We're not informing God of anything when we confess our sins. What we're doing is agreeing with God. We commit a sin, God says, that's sin. We may say, well, you know, have you ever noticed how God's people have a way of excusing their sin? Well, the, the situation, Lord, you know, the, the condition, it, it just, it, it came upon me. What was the other person's fault? And we have all these ways of excusing our sin. But you know what? God's saying that's sin. And if we want to be right with God, what we have to do is say, you're right, Lord. And then accept his forgiveness, ask his forgiveness. And then he said, the man in whose spirit there is no guile. Guile is deceit or treachery. He's talking about somebody that lives an openly honest life. I mean, their life is just an open book before people because they're living so honestly. And he said, that is a blessed individual, a blessed person. Now that word blessed, again, happy. Here David describes the grounds of our happiness as children of God. We've been forgiven. Our sin's covered. Our record's been cleared. Every time we come to worship God, folks, it ought to be a time of joy and it ought to be a time of happiness. Have you ever gone into a church where they had a, quote, worship service and you thought it was a funeral service? You know, I've been in some like that. Nobody ever wants to smile. Nobody, you know, the, even the songs that are supposed to be happy and upbeat, you'd think they were funeral dirges. It ought to be a thrill to come in together and worship God together. Amen. Psalm 1-1. Here's that word blessed again. Blessed. Happy is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 119, verse 1, we're told, blessed are the undefiled in the way. But we see in the verses that follow the ground of our blessedness, the basic condition from which many other conditions flow. But he says, first of all, we have to come to grips with our sin. And that's what David talks about next in verses 3 and 4, the pain of sin or the pain of our guilt. Listen, sin in the life of a child of God will produce a feeling of or a sense of guilt. Boy, that got quiet, didn't it? <laughs> I'll say it again. I'm not asking for an amen here, but sin in the life of a child of God will cause a sense or create a sense of guilt. And if you have unconfessed sin in your life, there'll be a sense of unabated suffering. 
You can't sin against God and just go on with life if you're his child. Look at how David describes it. Verse 3, look at what he says. When I kept silent. What are you talking about kept silent? When I didn't seek God's forgiveness, all right? When I kept silent, my bones waxed old. Now, I could be sneaky and ask if anybody's feeling old this morning. But I don't want you to raise your hands, okay? Because of the rest. What does it mean to wax old? To fail. By implication, to wear out. To decay. David saying, I committed this sin and I haven't confessed it to God. I've held on to it for a year now and I just feel like I'm wearing out. I'm decaying. And that'll happen to a child of God who's out of fellowship with God. You feel like you're decaying on the inside. And David said, my bones are waxing old. A sinning believer is out of fellowship with its heavenly father. So there's the anguish of the spirit. And I tell you what, when there's anguish of the spirit, you say, preacher, you talk like somebody who experienced this. I'm not going to say yeah or nay, but you can figure it out for yourself, all right? <laughs> anguish of spirit. And you know what anguish of spirit does? It affects the body. Amen. We're mind, body, and spirit. And you can't separate one from the other. Now you get out of fellowship with God and you don't do anything about it and you have this anguish of spirit, it starts affecting the body. It affects your outlook. It affects your attitude. It affects your demeanor. I said some of the most miserable people I think in the world are not lost people. They're lost. They don't even know they're lost. They're going to hell. They don't even realize it because nobody's witness to them. And so they're just rocking along in life. And here's a child of God who's experienced the forgiveness of God and he's out of fellowship with God and he's miserable. His attitude, his outlook, his demeanor. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, folks, is a heavy coat to wear. Have you ever put on a real heavy coat and tried to walk around in it? After a while, you begin to feel that burden and that's like the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The hand of divine chastisement lays heavily too, just like a fire in the bones. Now that's not the kind of fire Jeremiah talked about when he said the word of God was a fire in his bones and he had to share it, but just like a fire in the bones. You may fool the pastor. You may fool church members, but you will not fool the master because he knows what is in our hearts. There are spiritual and mental and even physical effects to God's chastisement when we're out of fellowship with him and stay out of fellowship with him. And what David is saying is my refusal to repent toward God and get this thing worked out is making me feel old before my time. Now I'm not going to ask if anybody feels old before their time. I and mean, what is your time, right? But David said, it's just wearing me out. I'm carrying this burden every day because look at what he says next. The condition creates a groaning. He, the word roaring is here. It had the idea of moaning and groaning. How often? All the day long. Get up in the morning. I feel this conviction. I feel this heavy coat. I feel this guilt in my soul and in my spirit and it doesn't go away. I go to bed at night and it's still there. You can't escape it. You may walk away from the preaching that convicts you. And I said, I think that's why a lot of people don't come to church. They don't want to be under the word of God. It's going to conv I'm talking about saved people. I'm not talking about lost people now. I'm talking about people who are children of God who ought to be here and who are not. A fourth of our membership generally shows up any given Sunday. 
Where are the rest of them? Well, part of it is the conviction of the Word of God gives them problems and they don't want to feel that and so they do their best just to stay away. That way I don't have to, I can listen to Joel on TV and get to feeling real good. That's what some of them think. But you get under a preacher that preaches the Word of God. You won't feel quite as good as Joel makes you feel, right? I didn't say Joel who. You may even quit going to church. I'm not going back to that church anymore. The preacher preached on my sin. I'm not going back there anymore. You still can't get away from the conviction. And the Word of God is still there convicting. You may get angry at the pastor because he preached on your sin, and some folks do. I've had people go out and say, you preached that right to me, preacher. I said, nope, didn't know you were going to be here. You know? You do realize that I have no idea who's going to be here. I'll start working on next Sunday morning's message tomorrow sometime. Or maybe Tuesday. I, if I'd have a day, a Monday like I had last week, it'll be Tuesday. It was a bad day last Monday. But anyway, first part of this next week, I'll be working on a message for next Sunday. I have no idea who's going to be here. But you know what God does? Candy and Vicky used to tell, have you been right? Do you have our car bugged? Because things that we talk about just in the privacy of our automobile, the next Sunday you preach on. Said, no, I don't have it bugged, but God does. Amen. See? And whatever you talk about, whatever's going on, God knows. And oddly enough, he leads the preacher sometimes to preach a message that deals with that very thing that you're talking about. I love the way God works, don't you? You cannot escape the Holy Spirit. You cannot escape your own conscience. And you cannot escape the memory of what you have done. And this was David's problem. He couldn't get away from it. He had committed adultery. He had committed premeditated murder. And he couldn't get away from it. Verse 4, he says, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, burdensome, severe. You ever walk around and you just feel like somebody's got their hand pressing down on you as you're walking around or holding down on your shoulders as you're walking around? Some of that could be the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. The weight of a guilty conscience acted upon by the Holy Spirit is a heavy thing to bear, heavy thing to put up with. And again, it was continual. There's no escaping it. And then he says, look at this, verse 4. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. What's he talking about, my moisture? You look at that word, and the idea is juice or sap. Figuratively, it talks about vigor. My enthusiasm, my... You know what vigor is? It's, it's just... It's vigor, Okay. I want to go, I want to do. And he said, it, it's just gone. Literally, it's saying the sap in me dried up as if it was a summer drought. He compares himself to a plant in the heat of the summer in a time of drought when all of the rain and all of the dew have quit and there's no moisture to be had. He said, that's the condition that I felt when I was out of fellowship with God. I don't think anything can more strikingly picture the distress of mind that a child of God endures under a continued conviction of sin when all of his strength and all of his vigor is just evaporated because he's not right with his heavenly father. You know what happens? Attendance becomes sporadic in God's house and then not at all. I used to have a thing I'd put in bulletins that says, Church members are like old cars. They miss a lot before they quit altogether. And that's the way some folks are. They, they, they don't like the preaching because it convicts them, so they just start skipping, and eventually they just quit altogether. Interest in the things of God disappears. 
I'd rather know what's going on on uh, the television than what's going on at church. There's a poem I had many years ago said, uh, laying on the table side by side the Bible and the TV guide. Now, which one do you pick up, you know? And before long, these folks are in the world. They're enjoying the pleasures of sin. And sin is pleasurable. The Word of God says so in the book of Hebrews. They're enjoying the pleasures of sin. The problem is it does not last. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. It may be pleasurable for a moment, but it's going to have its consequences. When a child of God reaches that point, he or she's in a terrible state. So here's what David says. He says, like my moisture is dried up. And then he says, what? Selah. Now, we just think, we read that word and we think, well, that just means to pause for a moment and consider it. Oh, it has so much more than that. Something I've learned recently. It has so much more. At this point, when you come to Selah, pause and think about what has just been said. But the musicians were to crescendo during this time. You know what crescendo? The music gets louder. And so while you're considering what God has just said, the music comes up. And it just brings it right home to you. Think about it. But there's an answer. There's an answer. Look at verse 5. Verses 5 to 7. And look at this beautiful, beautiful sequence in verse 5. What does he say? I acknowledge, I will confess, talking about a sin, and thou forgavest. Isn't that a wonderful sequence? David said, I acknowledge my sin, <laughs> okay? I'm going to confess my See, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that it's sin before you'll agree with God that it's sin, all right? And so he said, I acknowledge means to know, to recognize, to designate. One source says it this way, I let it all out. You know what he did? He poured out his heart to God. We don't have any record of what he said but I can just imagine it of David just being on his face before God. It's what I call down in the dirt praying. Remember we studied about Elijah and sometimes Elijah is down on his, with his face in the dirt praying before God. How many times are our prayers like the Pharisee? Lord, I'm here. Aren't you happy I'm here? Instead of like the publican which said, God be merciful to me a sinner. And David is down in the dirt praying before God. This is the king who's up here, who's brought himself by the conviction of God. He's been brought down to this point and he's just laid out before God confessing his sin. And it may be that some of God's people today and especially some of God's preachers, okay, this one included, need some good old-fashioned weeping sessions before God before they ever get up in the pulpit and try to preach the word of God. You know, we got a lot of joy boys in the ministry today. They want to tell you how good and fun it is to be a Christian. I don't see that happening in Paul's life. I see Paul suffering and being chased from place to place and being abused and things like that because he would preach the gospel and he could say, I pointed this out to the Sunday school class. I don't think I can say that. In fact, I know I can't. But at the end of his life, Paul could say, I'm free from the blood of all men. For I have not failed basically to witness to anybody. And I think Paul was one of these guys, if you walked up to him in Walmart, he was going to witness to you. I know they didn't have Walmart, you know. But he was going to witness to you, whatever. And David said, I acknowledge. Again, remember our word confess, homologio. If we'll say what God says. And we might as well go ahead and do it. Because God's already said it. Then he said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. 
Confess here in the Hebrew means to hold out the hand, to throw, to bemoan by wringing the hands. It has a picture of worshiping God with hands like this. Coming before God and, and offering God our prayers and saying, Lord, here, here's what I've done. Here's my guilt. Lord, forgive me of my guilt. And not only did David say he would confess, guess what? He did. I'm sure every one of you has heard the story about the three frogs sitting on a log and two decided to jump. How many were left? Three. Two only decided to jump. They didn't jump. And that's where a lot of folks are about their sin. Well, I'll confess it to God and they never get around to it. David said, I'll confess. And David confessed. Listen to Psalm 51, verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou justest. David said, I did it. Guilty. Now I need forgiveness. It's one thing to say you'll do something. It's something else entirely to do it. Brother, how many times have you heard somebody say, Preacher, I'm going to commit myself to the Lord today. And they never did. I think I've told you I had a lady one time, her husband was in the hospital. She came one Sunday morning, came during the invitation. She gave one of those revival confessions and, you know, commitments. That's what I call them. Because she came that Sunday morning, she said, I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to be here every service. I'm going to serve him. She never came back after that. That's not commitment. That's trying to salve your conscience a little bit because you're out of fellowship with God, but that's no commitment. David said, I'm going to do it, and he did it. And look at what happened. Here's the wonderful part. I love this. He says, Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Iniquity here is from a word that means to make crooked. David said, God forgave the crookedness of my life. God forgave the crookedness of my sin. See, when your life is not in line with God, it's crooked. God's line is this way. And sometimes we just live, you know, like that, back and forth. And David says, God forgave the crookedness of my sin. The New Testament word for iniquity means wrongfulness of character or life or act. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Quit walking the crooked way. Walk the straight way. Frank and full confession of sin to God, you know what it brings? instant forgiveness. You don't have to work on forgiveness with God. If you will just confess your sin to God, God will forgive you. Confess your sin and mean it. Maybe I better say it that way. And then what does David say next? Selah. Think about that. I acknowledge I, can, I will confess and God forgave. Stop and think about that and the music comes up to give you time to sit there and think about it for just a moment. I'll confess my sin to God, and God will forgive me. Wouldn't you rather have confession and forgiveness than conviction? I tell you what, confession and forgiveness feels a whole lot better than conviction. Amen. And let me add this. If God has forgiven someone, you and I ought to forgive them as well. Because if we refuse to forgive someone after God has forgiven them, we're setting ourselves above God. And we're judging other people. And that 
also is sin. And then verse 6, upon learning of forgiveness that's in the Lord, every child of God ought to seek and follow David's example, acknowledgement, confession, and forgiveness. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, and God says, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. We're not talking about confession and acknowledgement up here. We're talking about from all your heart. Knowing that God's so great in forgiving mercy gives us a greater reason to seek him. The word floodwaters here speak of conviction of sin and waiting chastisement. If we'll confess to God and ask his forgiveness, the floodwaters won't come in. Okay? The conviction and all. Verses 7 and 8, having tasted the sweetness of confession, divine forgiveness, David says, I'll find safety and joy, both of them, in the Lord. He says, I'll run to you, Lord. I'm going to hide from, in you from temptation. I'm going to hide in you from the attacks of the enemy. Psalm 61, 2. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. Covert means to cover. It's a word that has the idea of to hide under a covering. And David just says, I'm running to you, God. I have nowhere else to go. James 4, 8. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. And here's how he does it. Listen to this. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, your double-minded. And James is writing to save people. A child of God cannot draw near his heavenly father with a defiled heart and dirty hands. Psalm 121 says, I'll lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. David says here in Psalm 32, you'll preserve me. That word preserve has the idea of guard me. And he acknowledges that God will compass him like this. Songs of deliverance. That word compass means to surround. God's going to surround me with songs of deliverance. No matter which way I look, we're talking about someone now who's done like David, who's come before God, who's laid it all out before God, who's received God's forgiveness, and he's saying, hey, no matter which way I look, I find a reason to rejoice and praise God. It wasn't like that before, but it is right now. And so I'll rejoice and I'll praise God. Then we see finally in verses 8 through 11 what I call the praise of the saint. And right quickly, we look at the promise of the Lord. God says, I will instruct thee and teach thee. I will guide thee in the way which thou should go. Instruct means to bring to a mature understanding. It'll cause you to act wisely. And so God just says he'll bring us to an understanding of his word. He'll cause us to act prudently in reference to his word. We'll learn to live for him like we ought to live for him. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. How do you know the things of God? Through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14.6, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. God will instruct us. He'll show us how to live for him, how to be faithful to him. And then he said, I'll teach them in the way they should go. The idea here is teaching no uncertain terms. There's no ifs about the Bible. There's no ifs about how God wants us to live. It's very clear in the word of God. By the word, the word teach has the idea of pointing out with a finger. Here's how you, here, here, you go here and you go here and this is the way I want you to go. And in the way talks about a course of action. And God says, I will guide thee with mine eye. He'll advise us. He'll counsel us. That's what the word guide means. And he says, all the time I'm doing it, I'm watching over you. I'm watching your life. I'm paying attention to your life. But it comes with a warning. I like this warning in verse 9. Did you catch it when we read it? He said, be ye not as the horse or as a mule. 
Don't be a dumb donkey. Don't be a dumb animal, all right? Don't do that. They don't have any understanding. They ought to be controlled with a bridle and with a bit. And it's better to be obedient to God than to be bridled by God's bridle and bit, okay? Don't be like the dumb animals. Remember Hebrews 12, 6, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son that he receiveth. So verses 10 and 11 tells us what it leads to. And this ought to, this ought to encapsulate the life of a child of God after this forgiveness. He tells us that as believers we're surrounded by the unfailing love and the mercy of the Lord. First Chronicles 16, 34, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Praise God. Praise God for his mercy. Praise God that I can be right with him. Even after I've gotten out of fellowship with him, all I have to do is confess, agree with him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that God is rich in mercy. How much mercy does God have? More mercy than you'll ever need. Amen. And God can lead us by instruction or chastisement. It's better to be led by instruction. And then in all of this, being surrounded by all of this should cause a triple expression of joy. Look at verse 11. Be glad... Rejoice and shout, okay? Amen. Shout for joy. Be glad. Brighten up. <laughs> I just hate to see people who profess to be saved who are just as dull and dark and, you know, down in the dumps as the rest of the world. You're a child of God. You've been forgiven of your sin. Rejoice. Brighten up. Woo. Woo. Thank you. I don't know who did that, but I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. We're getting a lot of woos going on this morning. <laughs> Brighten up. Don't come to church looking like it's, it's killing you to be here. And don't go out in the world looking like it's killing you to be a child of God. Amen. What did Jesus say? You're the light of the world. I don't want any 25 watt bulbs, folks. <laughs> they don't put off enough light. I love, you know, most fixtures say maximum 60 watt bulb, and I'm glad they got two or three Sockets in there for three or four 60 watt bulbs, all right? Because I like light. The other night I went to bed and I just told Johnny, I said, I hate, I hate nighttime. I do. I, you can't do anything. You got to lay there in bed all night and try to sleep. And when you can't, you just lay there and stare at the ceiling or whatever. Listen to the other person sleep and snore, right? I'm not making accusations. This is Mother's Day. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> There's nothing worse than a sad and gloomy child of God. Amen. Bad advertising. How would you like somebody to come on and say, try our product, it's not much good and it'll make you feel bad, but go ahead and why don't you buy it? <laughs> That's what we're saying to the world. I wouldn't want what they have if it makes you act like that. Rejoice, exult. Rejoice with a joy which expresses itself in gestures of the body. Now be careful here. We're talking about visual as well as verbal rejoicing. Now, what do we do in other areas when we rejoice with expression of the body? High fives, you know, patting people on the back, hugging their necks. The only thing I don't want is, you know, pour Gatorade on the preacher's back when he preaches a good sermon, you know, something like that. But visual as well as verbal. Most worship services are so dead you wouldn't know who are the winners and who are the losers. Amen. You say, you're not going to let it be that way, are you? <laughs> I hope not. 
I promised you 10 years ago, you ain't never had a pastor like this one. Amen. Pardon? Amen. Oh, amen. I thought you said never will again. <laughs> Shout for joy. Why do you do it this way? Because I've been taught to do it that way, okay? Shout for joy means to exert the voice with vehemence in joy or praise. If you've experienced the joy and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of sin, how can you be quiet about it? Amen. Look what God's done. Folks, look, at, look around you this morning. No, we don't have the building full, but look how God has blessed us. Amen. And we have families whose family members come in and join us and, and it just looks so much Shout for joy. I'm, I get excited about it. And I'm trying not to run you off by preaching so long, but I'm doing it again. But in conclusion, think about this. This psalm begins with an exclamation point and this psalm ends with an exclamation point. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That ought to be an exclamation point right there. Hallelujah. And then be glad in the Lord and rejoice and shout for all joy. Exclamation point. And everything in between ought to be an exclamation point. Those who are not righteous and those who are not upright in heart cannot sing this song. They cannot shout that shout. They cannot have this joy. Sin brings sorrow. Confession brings forgiveness. And you know what forgiveness brings? It brings joy. How many of the struggles in our lives are due to our sin? We like to blame a lot of things on the devil. I think sometimes we give him a bad rap. Some of the things that happen are due to our sin. Okay? It may be that sometimes what we call Satan's attack is God's chastisement. Because James says when we know what to do and we don't do it, it's sin. John says if we'll confess it, we'll be forgiven. Don't endure the groaning of bones and the waxing old another minute. That's my encouragement. Let's admit to God what he already knows. Receive again the joy of his salvation. The greatest danger to any believer, I believe, is to just get out of fellowship with God and live our lives the way the world lives their life. Folks, we have every reason to go out of here this morning rejoicing. Amen. The word of God has been preached. Maybe I didn't do a great job of it. Maybe I did. Whatever your opinion is, that doesn't matter. You know what? I'm sorry. I don't mean to be rude. What matters to me is what does God say about it? Okay? But we just have a God who loves us. And you know, I've known of parents whose children can do some horrible things to them and you know, treat them badly. And you know what I know about those parents? They still love those children. And they long for those children to come to them and say, Mom, Dad, I love you. Would you forgive me? They don't even have to ask forgiveness, do they? If they just come back, arms are there open. And that's the way God is. You don't have to go around feeling all slumped over by the weight of sin. Come run into the Lord. Say, Father, I've sinned as a prodigal son did. Father, I've sinned in your sight and in the sight of heaven. I ask forgiveness. It's there. <laughs>